It's the Law of FOHO podcast, providing a combination of serious discussion of political, cultural, and social issues, along with witty and satirical humor, connecting listeners with the news they need to know in a fast-moving format. The son of immigrants and the new voice for conservative millennials, Robert FOHO blends his passion for conservatism with his view that America is the greatest country on earth and our last best hope. Now, here's Robert. I still cannot believe President Biden may have pooped when he met the Pope. Jeez Louise. Folks, these mandates, mask mandates, vaccine mandates are coming to a head. That idea, that revolutionary idea of a constitutional republic that we supposedly had seems to be a faint memory these days. I'll get into it a little more on the other side. Greetings, folks. Welcome to the Law of Foho podcast. I am your host, Robert Foho. That's Foho with a soft J. I'm somewhat of a recovering lawyer turned legal and political commentator. I still and do practice law regularly, but these legal and political issues are my passion. This is the show that is more like a classroom. We advance conservatism from mostly a legal perspective for you, a new generation, and we teach you that liberalism is a disease and conservatism is the cure. I am thrilled to be here with you today. Class is in session. I've been gone a bit. I've been waging quite a battle against mask mandates for the last several months. I have been representing groups of parents against school districts and trying to invalidate mask mandates these school districts have implemented for this school year. This has become one heck of a hot button topic. I've been practicing law for over 16 years. I have had probably at this point well north of a thousand clients. I have never seen such palpable, just raw energy and passion against one issue. These parents are so energized and ready to fight these mandates. They aren't some crazy wackos like those tree-hugging, art history major, jobless liberals who hate guns and want to cancel everything on the planet. No, these are very smart, very affluent, very sophisticated people. They aren't starting riots over these issues. They're going to school board meetings and making their voices heard. And when they have felt that they are left with no options, they invoke their legal rights. And if you think, and I told a judge this last week or a couple weeks ago, If you think these battles over mask mandates are contentious, if you think all of this stuff making the news about these turbulent school board meetings, people getting thrown out of school board meetings, um, this hot, hot debate over mask mandates and masking our kids, if you think this is contentious, wait until school districts start mandating the COVID vaccine for children. It's already happening elsewhere. Some are already doing it. The governor of California recently mandated it. I think uh, school, they're going to start mandating it in waves beginning in January. I don't have the details in front of me. A handful of school districts in the Soviet Socialist Republic of Massachusetts uh, has also mandated it. 
private boarding schools in Massachusetts and in New Hampshire are requiring the vaccine. I've got, I've been dealing with issues concerning those types of schools recently as well. Uh, for example, the Cambridge School District in Massachusetts. You know, side note, I cannot believe Governor DeSantis and I actually lived in that city, that godforsaken city for three years. The Cambridge School District mandated the vaccine for students 12 and over uh, recently, and they have to be vaccinated by November 22nd. I'm actually going to pull up uh, the mandate on my screen here. Those who are not vaccinated, now this is, cl this is clever, they're not excluded from school, but they cannot participate in after-school extracurricular activities, and I'm reading right from the mandate. No vaccinated age-eligible student will be allowed to participate in the following after-school extracurricular activities. Athletics, including club and intramural sports. Student government. After-school visual and performing arts. All school clubs that meet out of the school day. School-sponsored social events. So, essentially, your life as a high school student is over. You can go to class and go home, but you cannot have a social life at school. You can't play sports, no student government, no prom, no cute prom photos, no homecoming dance. They are turning you into a loser. And before I get into the legal issues with this requirement, the logic of it doesn't make sense. If this was about public safety, and if the vaccine supposedly worked, then shouldn't you be excluded from school entirely? Why the arbitrary distinction between allowing to, allowed to be in school but having to be excluded from extracurricular activities? Why one but not the other? What are you doing differently in a classroom that makes you safe but you're doing while, you're, while being in a math club meeting? What are you doing differently in a classroom that makes you safe but that you're doing while being in a math club meeting or running a track meet that is not safe? It doesn't make sense. This is not about safety. It's never been about safety, and it's not about safety going forward. This is government overreach of the highest order. Let me shift here to the legal issue with all of this. Many parents know that this stuff is wrong. We as citizens know that this is wrong. Something just feels wrong about it. And we know it's wrong. The problem is that many of us do not know how to conceptualize what it is that is wrong about all this. We don't know how to explain why this is wrong. We know it's wrong. We know we're sick. We know there's something that we, we, we see the symptoms, but we can't really diagnose it. We all know that the government forcing you to do something merely because you exist is incredibly problematic. This is not the same as a requirement that you apply for and obtain a driver's license, for instance, in order to drive. The difference is that driving is a privilege. And in exchange for exercising that privilege in a responsible manner, the government provides you with a driver's license. The same goes with seatbelts. When you are driving, that's the one that always gets thrown at me. Oh, seat, what about seatbelts? You're talking apples and oranges. When you are driving, the very act of driving creates a risk for both you 
and other drivers. Accordingly, a seatbelt represents a reasonable safety measure to protect you and others. Here, a vaccine mandate, by contrast, is being imposed on healthy students, all healthy students. The same with mask mandates. This is an entirely different scenario. The people who founded this country shed their blood to protect us from these types of examples of government overreach, of government intrusion into our lives. The people who founded this country risked their lives and their families' lives to create an entirely different form of government that should have prevented and should be preventing this kind of thing from occurring. What is that form of government? What is it about our form of government that should prevent school districts, for example, from enacting a vaccine mandate or a mask mandate? It all starts with this very revolutionary idea on which this country was founded. That idea is, and I'm going to take this from a state court decision in Arkansas last month that I'm using in these cases that I'm litigating. In this case, a court concluded that a school district mass mandate was void. The judge in that case, God bless her heart, had a great quote she included on page three, the second paragraph, and it goes like this. Governmental entities and political subdivisions do not have inherent rights and powers. People do. All the rights, powers, and authority not granted to governmental entities reside in the people. What a revolutionary idea. But it's not. It's been around for 250 years. That was the very idea on which our founders created our form of government. See, before our little upstart union got off its feet, governments around the world viewed rights as being granted by the government. The government was the source of your rights. They told you what you could and couldn't do. Our founders flipped that idea on its head. They viewed us as having inherent rights, but not from government. Our rights were natural. Our rights came from God. And if you're not a religious person, that's fine. You can look at it like this. Our rights came from being born. When you are born, you have inherent rights. No one gave those to you. Certainly not some government or, or king or leader or president or school district official. Those rights came from being born. So if you start with that idea, it's very easy to get to the conclusion that school districts and municipalities do not have the authority to require students to get the COVID vaccine or wear a mask. But let me walk you there because it's real easy. Where did this judge get this idea? Did she come up with it on her own? No. It's in the Declaration of Independence. Second paragraph. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, 
and the pursuit of happiness. You are born with those rights. No one granted them to you and you don't owe anyone anything for having those rights. Now, obviously, for society to function, we need to give up some of those rights and establish law and order and governments. This is known as the social contract, okay? The Declaration of Independence acknowledges that principle. It says that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. Look at how that's worded. The purpose of these institutions of government is to protect us, to protect our rights. And then it goes on. Deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. The leaders we put in power derive that power from us. These ideas are, for whatever reason, lost these days. These government officials, these politicians who are forcing these mandates down your throats are ignoring these principles. They are violating the very principles on which this country was founded. It absolutely infuriates me when I, I see a governor or a, a, a gubernatorial candidate tell parents that schools set policies for their children, that schools raise their children. It absolutely infuriates me. This same idea that I'm talking about is reflected in the United States Constitution. Notice that the Bill of Rights, nor, nor any provision in the Constitution, nothing in that document grants you rights. Rather, it protects you from certain behaviors of the government. The Bill of Rights has always been traditionally called a, a system of negative liberties. Barack Obama hated that notion. He hated the idea that there's this document that was drafted, you know, 200 and some years ago that prevents the government from doing things. He didn't like that. He hates that. Liberals hate that idea. But that's what that document is designed to do. Those amendments in the Bill of Rights are worded specifically to protect specific rights you already have from government intrusion. It says the government shall not infringe on your freedom of speech. The government shall not infringe your freedom of religion. The government shall not deprive you of due process, and so on and so forth. When you get to the 10th Amendment, that takes a broader view, and it says the powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution. Again, look at how that's worded. The powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution. It talks of powers being delegated, being given to the government, not the government giving the people any rights. In drafting this Constitution, we are delegating powers to the government, not the other way around. And the rest of it reads, nor prohibited by it to the states are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. Let me read the whole thing again. The powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. So any powers not given to the federal government, we keep. 
because they are ours to give in the first instance. They are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. Because after this was done, the states themselves drafted and prepared their own constitutions by their own people, and the same system proceeded there. Those people, with the powers they reserved for themselves and did not delegate to the federal government, delegated certain powers to the state governments. The same principle applies there. Whatever powers people did not grant to their state governments, they kept for themselves. Courts have recognized and applied these principles in evaluating actions taken by school districts and municipalities. I have a lot of experience in these types of cases. When you start from the principle that we the people govern ourselves, this is not rocket science. People delegate certain powers to their state legislatures and the legislature in turn enacts laws. In creating those laws, the legislature creates municipalities in school districts and towns. When it creates these political subdivisions, state legislatures grant them certain powers. And again, based on this same principle that I've explained, a state legislature cannot give a school district powers that it does not have. Where did the state legislature get its authority? From us, remember? Therefore, a state legislature cannot give a school district any authority that we did not provide it in the first place. If it did do that, think about it. If the state legislature just abdicated all the power that we gave it to a municipality, to a school district, that would be akin to government by an irresponsible master. How are we supposed to hold state legislatures, a state legislature accountable? If it just abdicates all of its responsibility to a municipality, to a school district, or to a city or a town. In order to hold the legislature accountable, a legislature can only delegate power that we've given it. And that power that it delegates to a municipality or a school district has to be specific. Courts in New Hampshire, for example, and in Massachusetts and elsewhere have stated that towns municipalities, school districts, only have powers that are expressly granted to them by the legislature and that are necessarily implied or incidental to those powers. This concept is known as Dillon's Rule, which it's referred to as a canon of statutory construction, which really means it's a method of interpretation that requires the strict and narrow construction or interpretation of local government authority. John Forrest Dillon, this is the person after whom that rule is named, he is or was an attorney in Iowa and New York. He was, apparently he went to medical school first, but then he became a lawyer. He entered private practice in Iowa in the 1850s. He was a county attorney from 1853 to 1858, and then he became a judge for the Iowa District Court from 1858 to 1862. Thereafter, he became an Iowa Supreme Court Justice for six years until 1868. After that, President Ulysses S. Grant appointed him to the United States Circuit Court for the Eighth Circuit. While he was the Chief Justice of the Iowa Supreme Court, he described this rule, 
and that and thereafter it became known as Dillon's Rule. He wrote, municipal corporations owe their origin to and derive their powers and rights wholly from the legislature. It breathes into them the breath of life without which they cannot exist. As it creates, so it may destroy. If it may destroy, it may abridge and control. That was a decision that Judge Dillon authored in 1868 called City of Clinton versus Cedar Rapids and Missouri River. Judge Dillon recognized the limits of local municipal authority. They existed, they had existed for years, but he articulated it as a rule that made a lot of sense. That rule, it's really a liberal idea when you think about it. It expresses the liberal commitment to the state being the centralized source of political power. And thus it operates as this rule of interpretation that requires grants of, of power to municipalities be read as limited to those that are clearly enumerated. Other courts have explained what this means. And what it means is that if there is any fair, reasonable, or substantial doubt concerning whether or not a municipality has certain power, that question has to be resolved against the municipality and whatever power it alleges it has has to be denied. In other words, if a municipality seeks to take some action or if it wants to do something, it has to find a provision allowing it to do so. So Dillon's rule essentially says three things. A municipal corporation such as a city, a town, a school district possesses and can exercise the following powers and no others. Number one, those that are granted in express words. Number two, those necessarily implied or necessarily incident to the powers that are expressly granted. And number three, those absolutely essential or those powers absolutely essential to the declared objects and purposes of its institution or of its corporation. Not simply convenient, but that are indispensable. Dillon's rule has been applied in determining the authority of school, school districts and school boards as well. So, to pass a vaccine mandate or a mask mandate, a school district has to have the specific authority to do so. It has to have the authority to pass broad health measures to take these types of actions in response to a pandemic or an outbreak of an infectious disease. I'm going to save you the trouble, and I'm going to spoil it for you. I've looked at statutes and rules that govern school districts in New Hampshire, Massachusetts, Vermont, Florida, and other states. None of the statutes or rules governing school districts provides them with the authority to pass these broad health measures. I've been involved in about 13 to 14 lawsuits at this point over the last several months challenging school districts, school districts authority to pass mass mandates. I've dealt with many different lawyers in these challenges, very smart, hardworking lawyers. None of them and not a single school district has been able to identify the specific authority that allows them to pass broad health measures. Like a requirement, for example, that students and children wear face masks or get the COVID vaccine. Instead, the only authority they have relied on are provisions in these statutes that require a school district to ensure that students learn in a safe environment or in a safe and sanitary environment.
For example, one statute in New Hampshire that's been thrown at me states that school districts must provide for, quote, health and sanitation. There is an entire section of the statute that covers that area. Do you know what that section of the statute says? Or do you know what it covers and what it requires? Everything in that statute concerns the safety of buildings. For example, whether or not they are up to code, whether or not there is mold growing in the walls. It covers access to medical care in case of injuries. It requires uh, that schools maintain some kind of health personnel on site. It requires that schools provide a physical and health education. It addresses the air quality in schools. It requires school, district, school districts to have policies for head injuries for school sports. And it governs the use of specific medical equipment in schools like nebulizers and other, and other such devices, among other things. There is something quite different between making sure a school satisfies the building code and forcing every healthy student to wear a mask. There's something very different between having a nurse on site to give a kid aspirin if they have a headache and requiring every student to get the vaccine, the COVID vaccine, as a condition of going to school and partaking in the benefits and privileges of being a student. That section in the New Hampshire statute that I mentioned, the only sections in that entire scheme that address communicable diseases or infectious diseases require three things. One, students should have a physical exam done before the school year. Two, if a child exhibits any symptoms of a contagious disease or a hazard, they're excluded from the classroom and the parents are called. And then three, children need to have certain immunizations done before school, before being enrolled in school. Now those are the traditional vaccines kids have to get, like against measles and mumps, etc. And those are formally approved and are listed on the Department of Health's immunization schedule, unlike the COVID vaccine. That's it. Nothing in those sections permits a school district to pass a broad mask mandate or to enact a vaccine mandate on its own, outside of the exclusive authority of the Department of Health. The statutes in Massachusetts are very similar. If these statutes contained authority for requiring a vaccine for students, the legislature would have included it there. It has to have included it there. That's the way it works. School districts don't just make up new policies as they go along. They have to tie every action they take to a provision in the statute that governs it. This brings us full circle. For a district to pass a vaccine mandate, it has to find that authority somewhere in its governing statutes. The power they have comes from those statutes. And the power in those statutes was delegated by the legislature, which in turn derives its power from us. Courts are beginning to apply these principles in the right way. It's been one hell of a battle, but I'm now seeing decisions coming out that are invalidating these types of mandates. I mentioned that Arkansas state court a little while ago. Approximately four weeks ago, that Arkansas state court issued a temporary restraining order against the Bentonville School District's mask mandate. You won't hear about this in the media. The plaintiffs in that case, again, it's a group of parents fighting for their children's rights, they relied on two claims that are the same as many claims being asserted in these cases across the country. The one that's most important for purposes of, of our discussion here is that they claim that no school board 
within the state of Arkansas has been delegated directly or indirectly with isolation, they call it isolation or quarantine authority by the Arkansas legislature, the governor under his emergency authority or the Arkansas Department of Health. So no one, they are, they're essentially saying that nobody, no authority has given, been given to the school district at issue in that case to pass a broad mask mandate. The circuit court held or concluded that the district lacked the authority to issue that mask mandate. It rejected the school district's reliance on broad statutes like the ones I mentioned earlier about health and sanitation. It rejected the school district's reliance on those types of statutes that provide it with broad authority to ensure the safety of its students, etc. It rejected the district's reliance to rely on those statutes to derive this power to issue a broad mass mandate. The only authority that the court found that directed the school district to address communicable diseases concerned very specific and limited procedures, for example, for athletics, for reporting communicable diseases, or for managing the start time and release time for school. The court concluded that the authority identified by the school district in that case did not authorize it to direct students to wear masks. And it concluded that that authority resided only with the De Arkansas Department of Health. If you've been following the news, just last week, the Commonwealth Court, which is an appellate court out in Pennsylvania, declared a similar measure void. Um, in that case, the acting secretary of the Depar of Pennsylvania Department of Health directed all students, teachers, staff, and visitors in schools in Pennsylvania to wear face coverings, regardless of vaccination status and regardless of any other, whether or not they've ever had COVID at all. Again, in that case, like in Arkansas, like in Massachusetts, in New Hampshire, a group of, um, um, a group of legislators, including parents, challenged this measure. The court held it was void and unenforceable. It reached this conclusion for two reasons. First, it concluded the acting secretary did not comply with mandatory rulemaking procedures. That's a separate concept that's beyond the scope of this discussion. But the second reason it reached that conclusion, and this is more relevant for what I'm talking about here, the court concluded that the acting secretary did not authorize, did not, did not have the authority to issue a mask mandate. Regarding that second reason, the court rejected the acting secretary's argument that the masking order was an order promulgated pursuant to three specific areas of authority that were identified, that the acting secretary claimed allow the department to implement any disease control measure appropriate to protect the public from the spread of infectious disease. The court addressed each of these authorities in turn. First, the acting secretary relied on Pennsylvania's disease control law, which the secretary argued permitted the department to carry out control measures, certain control measures. Well, the court reasoned that that statute allowed only control measures that were provided in existing rules or regulations, such as certain quarantine and isolation procedures. The court concluded that the masking order at issue did not identify any measures that existed in any applicable rule or regulation. 
the court stated that the disease control law does not provide the acting, acting secretary, and this is a great language, with the blanket authority to create new rules and regulations out of whole cloth, provided they are related in some way to the control of disease or can otherwise be characterized as disease control measures. The court then addressed two of the regulations on which the acting secretary relied for authority to issue the masking order. One of these regulations was called the General Health Administration, and it states that one of the duties of the Department of Health is to protect the, pup, the, the health of the people of this commonwealth and to determine and employ the most efficient and practical means for the prevention and suppression of disease. The other regulation was titled Duty to Protect Health of the People, and that one states that another duty of the department was to protect the health of the people of the state and to determine and employ the most efficient and practical means for the prevention and suppression of disease. The court concluded that those sections are merely statements of general duties of the Department of Health and authorize the Department of Health to issue rules and regulations to accomplish those goals and fulfill those duties, but they do not authorize specific means by which the department may accomplish those duties nor do they provide specific authority for the masking order. And then there was this health regulation that the acting secretary relied on, also for authority to issue the masking order. That regulation provides that the department or local health authority shall direct isolation of a person or an animal with a communicable disease or infection surveillance, segregation, quarantine, or modified quarantine of contacts of a person or an animal with a communicable disease or infection, and any other disease control measure the department or the local health authority considers to be appropriate for the surveillance of disease when the disease control measure is necessary to protect the public from the spread of infectious agents. The court concluded that that regulation did not apply or authorize the masking order because the masking order requires the wearing of masks or face coverings in schools regardless of whether individuals are known to be infected with COVID-19 or whether they are a contact of an individual known to be infected with a communicable disease. The court also concluded that the general language that I just quoted you that allows the department to implement quote, any other disease control measure the department considers to be appropriate. The court concluded that language does not provide blanket authority to create new rules and regulations out of whole cloth. The court reasoned that that qualifying language, for the, that the qualifying language at the end of that provision for the surveillance of disease directly limits the disease control measures to those measures related to the surveillance of disease. Mask wearing, the court stated, is not disease surveillance. The situations that gave rise to the many lawsuits around the country challenging school district mask mandates, and especially the ones in which I'm involved, are precisely the same. These school districts issued mask mandates for their schools without the requisite statutory or regulatory authority. They don't have any such authority to be doing these types of things. Parents at school board meetings and in their interactions with school districts need to force these officials, 
these school board members to identify the specific authority that allows them to issue mask mandates and vaccine mandates. They won't be able to. It's not about what school districts can do to preserve the public health. That's not their role. They are not health boards. They are there to educate our children, to establish a curriculum and educate our children, not combat and respond to the outbreak of infectious diseases. That authority resides elsewhere. They have no right or authority to mask your kids or force them to get a shot. Ask them where that authority comes from. That's the question they need to answer. I want to thank you for listening to the Law of FOHO podcast. Make sure to join our Facebook group if you haven't already. Uh, there we break down episodes throughout the week. We also post helpful and insightful information related to the show. Please also follow us on Instagram at Law of FOHO and Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at Law of FOHO. Thank you very much, and I will see you next time.